Mac Power Users, episode 535, State of the Platform, Apple Services. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hey, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? I'm good. I'm broadcasting from a new place for the first time. Um, yes. And... Uh, so the uh, studio upstairs has turned into studio downstairs. I'm still uh, fi- figuring out the audio, so I apologize if the audio is not exactly where you'd like it to be, but it's it's almost there. And um, uh, I think we're going to talk about that. We're going to do an after show today. We, we've we been talking about doing it on MPU for a long time. As we record, Apple just released a brand new MacBook Pro 13-inch, and um, I had some fun moving furniture over the weekend and uh and i have a cabling problem i want to talk to you about so uh we're going to put some of that in the after show today yeah i think it'll be fun so uh stay tuned to the very end we'll have that uh as a chapter and we're just going to give it a shot i think it'll be a fun way to add something to the show yeah um but today we're here to talk about services uh i think this is the last chapter in our 2020 state of the platform for apple we have any left? I think this is the last one. Did we do the Apple Watch? You know, we we had to do the Apple Watch. We got to do the Apple Watch. Yeah, but anyway, we we wanted to talk about services <laughs> because it's such a you know it's it's kind of funny that's an afterthought, right? But the um, sorry, Apple Watch people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, services. You know, some people may say, "Well, why are you doing a show on services?" Apple's a hardware company, but services is one of the big things they talk about now when they get guys in suits in the room to talk about stock and. Apple is definitely trying to put the pedal down on increasing revenue on services. And as a result, there's a whole bunch of services available that weren't available before. Absolutely. And we're going to talk in a little while about maybe some of the pros and cons of this shift. So that's going to kind of be its own section because I think that's a really interesting topic. And you're right. I mean, just going through this, you know, the last week or so preparing for this, it's amazing how many services Apple offers and then how many services are sort of like subsets of other things. When we talk about iCloud, iCloud is like a dozen different things and they're all their own worlds. But overall, Apple's way better at this and their and their services and the features they offer are way more robust than they've ever been, which is good because the joke for a long time was they were kind of bad at it. Oh yeah, no, it wasn't a joke. Yeah. It was true. That was the they reality. Were terrible at it. <laughs> I remember. Was it iDrive when they put the drive on your icon on your desktop oh, yeah. where you could put a file in? I can't remember if that was part of iTools or .Mac. I don't remember when that first showed up, but I remember the very first time someone described it to me, and I thought that's amazing. You know, it was before this is before Dropbox and all these cloud sync services. I mean, Apple had the idea of saying, you're going to put a file into this magic folder or drive. It was, you know, drive, I'm holding up air quotes on your desktop. And then it's just going to be part of your cloud account. And if you've got multiple Macs, you can access that data on the other drives as well. And the first time I did it, I put an image in there. And of course it didn't work at all. Yeah. And then my disappointment just started increasing as I started putting smaller and smaller size files. In. And ultimately, I got to the point where I put in like a one paragraph text file, <laughs> you know, and it didn't load. And I did it in my office. I remember doing it, say, at my desk in my office. And I drove home and like and had dinner. I checked it. It wasn't there. Then I went to go to bed and the text file was there. Wow. It was like literally like four hours later. You could and, have walked it home on a floppy drive faster. <laughs> 
I, I almost felt like there was somebody in the Apple server place that like one of those old fashioned telephone operators, you know, mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, there's this text file. Now take it to the other building, plug it in and send it to his laptop or whatever. It was just, it was completely bananas. And I gave up hope entirely on it, but they, that's not true anymore. You know, now with iCloud, they've, they've done a lot better. And we definitely have some gripes during this episode. I have a couple of things going on with iCloud right now that I'm scratching my head over, but uh, they are not a joke anymore. No. And, and you mentioned iTools. That was sort of the first version of it. And then there was .Mac, which is where I joined. So my Apple ID, that Apple ID is a .Mac Apple ID, which I'm oddly proud of, which is kind of silly. But um, And then MobileMe and then iCloud. I've written both about iTools and MobileMe. I need to write about .Mac. I realize I haven't done it in preparation for this. So you can go read about those services. And they've added things and taken things away. Over the years, I remember when I joined with .Mac, you could use the uh, the the uh, iDisk stuff. Is what it was called, iDisk. You could use iDisk to host a website, and so I built like a little website in HTML, and you know all, all the styles were in line as before CSS was really a thing. And I hosted it on .Mac for a long time, and I just shared a photograph a week. That was my thing, and I ran it for two or three years in college. I, I totally get what you say about having the email um, at Mac.com mm-hmm. address. I still uh, proudly use mine. And like my kids, when they were little, I set them up with at Mac.com email addresses, my wife. And like now when I go to the Apple store and recently I bought something, they're like, you know, you could make that at me.com. I'm like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. They're, they looked at me like, oh, you're one of those guys. Yeah. You know? It's cool. It's cool. That's still the Apple ID my wife and I used to purchase things. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that can relate. It's like, you know, pry my Mac.com email address out of my cold, dead hands. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, it, and mobile me is a really interesting chapter. I mean, go read the article I wrote a couple years ago, but it was a big move. Apple really, they framed it as like exchange for the rest of us. So you'd have contacts and calendars and email syncing between all your devices. This is the kind of the first time the iPhone sort of stepped out on its own away from like iTunes, right? Before this, you had to sync your mail settings from a Mac or PC. It's like, hey, no, you can just set it up on the phone and it just does these things. And it was really bad at first. A lot of people, I mean, I was a genius at the time. A lot of people had a lot of issues. They eventually got that sorted mostly, but the damage was done and they rebranded it and rebuilt it as iCloud. Actually, in what was uh, Steve Jobs' last public keynote was the iCloud keynote. And it's amazing, even iCloud, as we talk about it, what has been added to that over time. It's way bigger than it was then. Uh, You know, just going back to that mobile me fiasco, it's a remarkable how a bad launch can just ruin a product. And in that case, it absolutely did. There was at the time that it it launched, and this was be, you know one of the mistakes they made is they launched MobileMe the same day as they released a new iOS update, and they didn't like phase it out over time, so their servers blew up. And somebody wrote, maybe it was you, I don't remember who it was, but they wrote that they had this vision of Steve Jobs wandering the hallways at Cupertino <laughs> with a flamethrower. <laughs> I wish I'd written that. That's really good. <laughs> you know, and it was like, do, do you work on mobile me? Is he standing there with a flamethrower? Mm-hmm. You know, and apparently there was this famous meeting where he said, you know, he got everybody in there and he said, mobile me people, what is the job of mobile me? And then someone stands up and says, it's going to sync data. 
And then he says, why the bleep doesn't it do that? <laughs> and that was the, uh, and then he walks out of the room. So I don't know how much the truth there is to that, but they, they really like did a poor job of getting themselves out of this cloud thing. And it's still to this day, I think a reputation Apple has is that these guys don't know what they're doing with the cloud services. I mean, Steve jobs makes a note in the iCloud keynote about why would you trust us? We're the people who brought you mobile me. Like they were, he was fully aware of the situation they were in. And I think as we get into this, there's still some public perception about iCloud and its quality. Um, but really the, the, the point to me is, is just that they have continued to evolve this over time that iCloud is what it was, you know, I guess in 2010, 2011 is drastically different than it is now. And if you look at Apple's system status page, if you haven't seen this, there's a link in the show notes. It is a dashboard of all of Apple's online systems and not just things like iCloud, but maps, routing and navigation, map search, maps, traffic and maps display are four different services. And you can see if they're having issues. So I've used before of like, oh, I can't, you know, my Safari bookmarks aren't syncing or whatever. And I can go in here and say, oh, well, they're having issues with, with this or that. And it's uh, it's a very helpful tool if you run into issues and they even keep a little history on there. So like we can see as we record this right now, there was a, a Apple music issue a couple of days ago. It's really cool. And Apple, this is like a, a new Apple thing. Apple in the mobile me days would have never had this because it would all just been red, I think. Uh, but it is a handy tool if you're experiencing issues with a, with a service. Yeah. I was just looking at, I, I think, I've written probably multiple times at Max Barkey back in those days about Apple learning to walk and chew gum. It's like, okay, you make great hardware. You've got to get this cloud thing figured out. And I think as we sit here today, they are a company that is good at the cloud, but it's not their central focus like the way hardware and software are, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And, 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 and to flip it to Google, the obvious inverse of this is Google – uh, is very good at the cloud, but they're you know that's their focus. Whereas they're getting good at making hardware and software, but clearly Google's all about the cloud. And you know, I guess in the best world, Apple would have both skills mastered. That they would be really good at making software and hardware, and they would be bringing equal expertise to the cloud. But that doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't. It, it has been a a, a real dedicated effort on their part and i think it, i end up think there's a lot of effort in on the user side to trust this stuff and you know i just think i just think about you and your journey with icloud drive you know it takes work on both sides both apple and its customers to to make this stuff successful right like if a service is launched in the woods and no one hears it like did it really fall or whatever the saying is that really fell apart on me but you know what i'm saying like yeah <laughs> they've got to see what customers want They've got to build that. Customers have to actually trust it. And it's this cycle that they've been in for several years now. And I think it's really beginning to pay off for them. Yeah, I agree. And and honestly, um, to a large extent, they are a reliable cloud data service now. And and there's plenty of normal users using it with no problems whatsoever. And there's a lot of cranky nerds like us that are afraid of it. But at the same time, you know, I think they have mastered some of this and i think one of the things in this we're going to talk about some of this later in the show too but uh, i do think it, the bar is lower now i mean i think the first time someone wanted to make a text file sync across multiple platforms 
you were starting from scratch. And now there's a lot of knowledge out there, and there are a lot of people that have worked with this synchronizing stuff. I mean, I think about companies like the Omni Group. They run their own sync engine for their software because they wanted to be responsible to their customers. Mm-hmm. You know, They said, we don't want to say uh, it's Apple's fault. You know, It's us. You, you give it to us, we'll make sure it works. But that's not a very big company. And um, when I was up there uh, in Seattle uh, last year for a conference, I got the opportunity to go see their server room. And it's, you know, there's there's a stack of servers in there that are running sync for all of their users. And, and grad, you know, granted, Apple's a much bigger user base, much more data, but companies that are not Google can now master this. And, you know, and the knowledge is out there. And Apple has a lot of money to hire the right people and build the server farms they need. So, you know, I, I obviously they have room to grow with this, but I think they're making the necessary investments. Yeah, you don't build data centers around the world if you're not serious about it, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I can't imagine what those things cost Apple, and you know, they've done a good job of making them green and all that stuff. But just the the outlay of funding to build and then to staff those things and to continue to improve them, it's a big deal, you know. And, and it's it's weird for us as people who mostly focus on hardware and software, but iCloud in particular, but Apple services in general. They have their fingers in all sorts of different parts of the ecosystem, right? iCloud is the glue that holds hardware and software and your data together for Apple. Like you can use an iPhone without an iCloud account, but the experience is worse. And there's pros and cons of that, which we'll talk about. But it's just so interesting to me that even in our conversations of hardware and software, we have to talk about services too, because they really are three pieces of the puzzle that go together. Yeah, and at this point, services are so integrated that it changes the hardware experience. I mean, we want iPhones, iPads, and Macs, and we want them to talk to each other. If you go back to the MPU archives, one of the very first episodes Katie and I recorded 10 years ago was how to sync data. And Apple wasn't worried about it at that point. We had to do it on our own. And we had all these goofy things we would do with applications to copy data to drives and you know, and users don't want that. I mean, we just want to turn the thing on and have it work. And this is a very necessary part of the Apple business at this point. Mm-hmm. So you want to get started? Yeah, let's let's talk about iCloud. Yeah, iCloud. What a word, right? <laughs> it's a huge umbrella term that covers all sorts of different features. And we're going to walk through the major ones. I will say quickly that on MPU 522, which we recorded uh, back at the beginning of the year, we spoke about the uh, the family sharing aspect of all of this. So we're not really going to touch on that today. But if you if you are in a family, you've got a, a significant other or kids or whatever, and you want to have multiple people share a bunch of iCloud stuff, go listen to that episode because we talk all about it. We walk you through how to set it up, some of the pitfalls. Uh, both David and I are using it to success in our households. But um, if you want to learn more about that, go check out MPU 522. Yeah. We will do that. And uh, but but iCloud, other than family sharing, it still means a ton of things. I feel like Apple just does if anything involves data on a server somewhere, we're just gonna call it iCloud. Yeah, yeah. I mean it it's everything from, you know, like you were saying, like you put a f- picture in a folder and it syncs to data that's in your address book and your, you know, your with your contacts and and email and calendar. So in anything that is information that you want on other devices that you own that are in the Apple ecosystem, iCloud is the bucket that it's going to end up in. 
Yeah, one of my gripes, honestly, is when people generalize the term iCloud with a judgment. You know, iCloud sucks, iCloud is great. That's not really, I think, a good way to think about it. I think iCloud Drive versus iCloud Backup Services versus iCloud Contact Sync, you know, they're all very different animals. And we just need to figure out, I, I think you're better kind of being more specific when you have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to start with iCloud Drive? I know this is uh, an area you have really spent a lot of time with. Yeah, it is. I, I was an early adopter because I like using the iPad remotely so much and because it certainly is a more favored uh, file sharing platform for the device and, and frankly, increasing frustration with Dropbox. I wanted to use iCloud Drive and two or three years ago now, at least two years ago, I just moved all my data to iCloud Drive and it's largely been a good experiment. I mean, I haven't had much problem at all. I had a uh, late last quarter. I had one, the first time I ever found a syncing problem, there was some files in my action folder that didn't make it onto the laptop. And so I turned off iCloud drive on the laptop and turned it back on and it restored them. But the fact that for some reason it wasn't getting them was of concern to me. But, you know, I, I guess I kind of got into the weeds too quickly. The, the idea of iCloud Drive is you've got a folder full of documents or, or files that just show up everywhere. Yeah. Not unlike Dropbox, right? Yeah. And uh, there's, you were talking about Steve Jobs stories. Uh, there's, this sto- there's a story from D- Drew Houston, who's the founder of Dropbox. And uh, he, he said that, you know, they had a meeting with Steve Jobs and Jobs is called Dropbox uh, very kind of famously that it was a feature, not a product. And it is just a feature of iCloud, right? It's not a, a separate thing. But Dropbox yeah. is still around. Box is still around. There's there's lots of competing services. I think partially because iCloud Drive has been slow to adopt new features. As we're recording this, just very recently have we been able to share folders between users, right? So you and I could move our shared MPU folder to iCloud if we wanted to. But the, the issue I have with that is not everybody I work with has an iCloud account or has an iCloud account with enough space to move a bunch of big WAV files around, right? Dropbox has become the default for many of us, um, but iCloud is iCloud Drive is catching up, which is good. But this should be a rock-solid thing, and it's an understood problem, right? People know what they want out of a service like this, so it's good to see Apple continue to improve it. Yeah, agreed. But they are behind Dropbox in terms of features. They may be behind a little bit on speed as well. Um, the uh, But with my laptop, I just decided I wasn't going to install Dropbox. So I've had it now six months or so. And um, I've never had Dropbox installed. And that felt kind of good because, you know, the installation process for Dropbox goes pretty deep onto the operating system. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I need to put a file in a Dropbox on the laptop, I just open the browser and copy it in, which is not very frequent. Um, I feel like podcasters kind of have a natural bias uh, as they talk about this stuff because we all do have this very specific thing where we share a very large file once every week or two. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure if Dropbox is as necessary for people who are not doing that you know I, I guess there's a couple different kind of like user profiles there's the people who need to share with multiple platforms you know windows 
uh, Macintosh, Android, whatever, uh, they absolutely need a third-party service, and Dropbox is probably the one for them. Then there's the people who just want to share the stuff between their own devices, and if they're on all Apple platforms, I um, I think I could recommend iCloud, having used it for a couple of years now with no significant problems. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, my wife, Mary, in this. She has a Dropbox account, but it's mostly just, I think the only thing in her Dropbox account is shared folders between us. It's like, yeah, she could probably... We could probably get away with iCloud Drive, right? It's just some spreadsheets and stuff that we update once every couple of months. It's not a big deal. Might be a good experiment yeah. just to see how that yeah, goes. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, iCloud Drive has come a long way. I think it really had a, a, a bad reputation at launch. I think that was deserved. But I think Apple has really worked hard to improve it over the years. And you know, people like you wouldn't keep using it if it was a nightmare. So I, I view that success as a, as a real thing and not just something we want to, we want to imagine. Yeah, well, I, I'm very careful. I, I still feel like it's on probation, even though it's been years. I mean, because of that kind of Apple reputation for cloud services, I think I'm more. I give more scrutiny to it than I ever gave to Dropbox. Um, and like I said, I did have where I had scanned some files and they didn't show up on the laptop, but I was able to fix that by turning it off and on. And I know people listening are saying, "Well, don't you see, you dummy? That's why nobody should use it." I mean, if you have to do that, then it's not good enough yet. And um, I can see that point of view, but uh, I do like the integration and I've always been a fan of, you know, using the software made by the same people who make the hardware and the operating system because they do generally work better. Oh yeah. That, that's Apple's whole strong. That's their whole selling point on all this stuff. Really? I mean, Dropbox and, and Google and these other services can interplay with files and mail and, and some other things, but no, nothing is going to beat the thing that's made by the same people. The other big one, I think, for iCloud, you know, the the one that's the deal breaker for a lot of people is PhotoSync because I don't know what's more important data that you have on your devices than all the pictures of your life and your family that you've taken. And a lot of us now have been put our eggs in the Apple basket with PhotoSync. I have. Uh, at the beginning of this, I had, I had some issues, which I, I wrote about and got straightened out. But since then, I mean, I've got... Just tons and tons, tens of thousands of photos and a bunch of videos in my photos library. It syncs with iCloud. It's fast. It's reliable. There's a current, uh, there's there's only really one current bug that bothers me is that my albums won't stay ordered in alphabetical order. I don't know why, but they come out sometimes. It doesn't make any sense. But as far as actual data, I've been really happy with it. And with the addition of things like syncing metadata for faces and places and those sorts of things, Searching across a big library has become a lot better. That was something that wasn't great in the early days, but they have fixed that too. And and honestly, it's one of those things where I basically just, if you have, if you can afford the additional iCloud space, um, I really recommend it because it's 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 so fantastic to have all of your photos and all of your devices. And per device, you can set it. Say, I just want thumbnails or I want full resolution. So I keep full res images on my Mac Pro so I can back them up. Everything else gets thumbnails. So as I'm not using up a bunch of data on my devices, and it's it's really a, a rock solid system. Yeah, I, I've spent the last four and a half months working on the photos field guide, and it is imminent the release. So we'll be covering photos in more detail in a very near future show. But I can tell you, I spent a lot of time looking at file um, integrity, and it's just been great. I have over fifty thousand images 
and they sync everywhere. And I am constantly bringing other iPads into the ecosystem and other devices and my family. And I mean, I'm stressing photos about as much as somebody can. And I think it's great. Now, that being said, I have to say this every time. Uh, there, there's two things. Number one is the, my most, um, uh, the recommendation I, I, I make the most, but hate to make the most is do pay for photo storage. If mm-hmm. you're going to use Apple photo storage, pay for as much as you need. And I'm hesitant to tell you to give Apple more money. I don't think we should have to give them money. I think they should be able to just give us storage when we buy their thousand dollar phones, but nevertheless pay for it because you need it. And the second thing is if there's any way possible, like if you've got a laptop with an external drive or a big iMac, or if you can download your images at the same time, because they're your photos, um, I've never needed that backup, but it makes me rest easier knowing I have it. And, um, you know, the iCloud photo dream is that you just have them all up on uh, Apple storage. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to make backups. They take care of the whole thing for you. I'm still not, I haven't, you know, gone that far down the rabbit hole. So what about, we're talking about space. So I think backup service is a good thing to put here as well. Um, your iOS devices, so your iPhones, your iPad, et cetera, can all back up to iCloud automatically. It makes restoring really easy. Uh, the last couple of years, they've made this uh, a lot more robust. You know, it's still a little slow to restore a phone on day one if you get a new phone, you know, the day it comes out. But I just restored an iPad uh, recently, and it was really pretty quick. There's some holes in this. There's really no Mac up. There's, there's no Mac up. That's, I like that. <laughs> yeah, there's no Mac up. There's no Mac backup. So there's no Mac backup feature. And that was something that Dot .Mac had. It was, a, it was a utility called backup and you could do a lot of things with it but one of the things was you could put stuff on your iDisk but I would like to see them bring some sort of utility to the Mac so I could choose what I'd want to have backed up to iCloud I mean not everything I'm not asking for time machine in the cloud or I understand that I've got a four terabyte internal drive that would be ridiculous but I would like to be able to hey just make a copy of this documents folder or whatever uh, and store it in iCloud I think that would be nice do you think if Apple, I mean, here's a company that's trying to increase services revenue. Do you think there's somewhere, there's a whiteboard somewhere in Cupertino that says, why don't we make a backup service? I mean, people pay for it, pay good money for it. Yeah, I think there could be. You know, I would imagine that on their scale, though, that that's maybe difficult. I think that's why, yeah. the, and I agree with you on the the storage pricing 100%, but I think that's why they haven't done that too, is that their scale to give everybody two terabytes of space, they just, it's just impossible, right? Where somebody like Backblaze or Crash Plan, they're still big, but they're, it's way, it's a, a fraction of what Apple could have. And I would imagine that's the the limiting factor. I I mean, there are even limits for Apple's money. I think I read someplace that by the time they get done with the, you know, building these server farms, it's, you know, in the neighborhood of a billion dollars to build one of these server farms. I mean, these are massive, massive farms and, all solar powered and all the, you know, all the stuff they go through to make these things. Um, so even Apple has some limits, but I, I think it's a capacity problem. I think if they had the capacity, they'd like to probably give us the, the photo storage or, or not. Who knows? I guess it depends. It's on your opinion of Apple, but the, um, but I think they certainly would like to take more money from us to do uh, Mac backups if they had the capacity, but I, I suspect they just don't have it right now. I think that's exactly right. 
I like the idea of a Macup though. If they announced that at WWDC, I think they, you know, will know yeah. where they got the idea. That's right. You, you hear me, Phil? You can call it the Macup. <laughs> just send, just send Stephen, you know, another Mac Pro as payment. Yeah. So we or can have a the, pair, or just just the wheels, maybe. Oh, just the wheels. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but once again, you know, that five gigabyte cap, you know, the the backup is great. I've never had a problem with it. I've used it many times. I think that's something that is a part of iCloud that's not controversial and it just works for the iOS devices at least. Yeah, same here. I've used it. I've had, you know, I've had like family members like buy a new phone and ask me what to do. And it's like, well, if you're backed up to iCloud, here's how you check that. If it's backed up, just restore from the backup. You don't don't worry about any other any other thing, it'll it'll really go smoothly for you. All right. What's the next piece of iCloud? Oh, we have dubbed this data sync. <laughs> it's like a, a just a grab bag of stuff. Yeah. I wanted to start with, with mail, though. It, it is the oldest feature of this. This was part of the deal, you know, way back in those way early services. You get a at iCloud.com email address or dot me or dot Mac if you if you're is older, you get to keep those, which is cool. This is IMAP email. It syncs really quickly. You get push notifications on iOS and Mac OS. My issue with it, though, and I always bring this up when we talk about this, is really wimpy server-side rules. The reason I use Gmail for my personal email is server-side rules. So I can have things go into folders automatically or have things, you know, stay red or pick up a flag. You can do all sorts of things with that. And I've really built a system in there that I really rely on, both personally and professionally. And the iCloud email just, it doesn't have that robust of a set of of tools for that. Um, And I think the other thing, it it lacks a little bit. Maybe it's better now. I haven't used iCloud as my primary email account in years. By the time I gave up on it, the spam filtering was pretty crummy too. It really seemed to rely on your local devices to do spam filtering. It has it in the cloud, but it wasn't nearly as good as Gmail's, and, and that got that got frustrating as well for me. Yeah, it's definitely better now the spam filtering, but the the web based uh, filtering rules are just as bad. There, there's nothing new to it. It's and you're right. Google runs circles around them with this stuff, mm-hmm. but I would argue that Apple Mail runs circles around Google if you are using the Apple Mail application on your Mac. And, you know, kind of getting back to, like, we did a show last year about using a Mac Mini as a home server. This is kind of where you can really go bananas with this stuff if you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, I because I played with the Google stuff, which is good, but I feel like the Apple Mail rules, which is not cloud-based, really, you know, does a number on Google. But mm. also, um, for me, SaneBox, which is a longtime sponsor, full disclosure, yada, yada, yada. But the... um they kind of handle the cloud-based stuff for me. So I've been using iCloud. And uh, the sync is great. Uh, all the things you said are true. And I've never, to my knowledge, had any problem with loss of data. And, you know, when I create a folder on one device, it goes to the other place. And and my mail is pretty complicated because I am using SaneBox with many custom folders. And it just works. But, I mean, that's the idea of IMAP, right? Yeah, absolutely. That, that your stuff is the same same everywhere. And, and Apple actually was one of the very first companies to implement IMAP in a consumer mail product. I mean, at the time, it's before Gmail or before Gmail was big, at least, you know, like Yahoo and stuff. It was all, it, it was all pop three, which 
falls down the second you have a second device. And and so Apple really pushed IMAP out early. And and like don't get me wrong, I know there are a lot of people out there using it uh and it works really well for them. And I may give it another shot in the future, but at least for now, Gmail's a better fit for what I need. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, I've been tempted by the siren song of Gmail cloud rules. But the problem is for me is once you use Gmail, it's like it's like adopting a lifestyle, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, there's a secret club. And yeah. uh and you know, and, and the reality is my we're going to talk about as we go through my data is pretty split between Google and iCloud, right? So I have, I use Gmail personally and I use just the, the snot out of Google drive and Google docs and everything, but then all my calendars and contacts are on iCloud. So if I log into Gmail on the web, none of my contacts are there because they're all on iCloud. So like I definitely live this splintered life. Now I only really deal with these things through native applications on my phone, iPad or Mac which just does a good job at blending all of them. So like mail on the Mac doesn't care that I'm sending through a Gmail account, but my contacts are synced to iCloud, right? It has no concept of that. But if you, if you are using the web, say at work to access your personal stuff, it really pays off to have everything in, in one place. Yeah. And the, the other issue I have with that is just, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the Google mail applications, you know? Yeah. I'm not really a fan of any mail application, but, (laughs) <laughs> you know, Apple Mail and I have this relationship with each Same. other where, you know, once in a while we give each other, you know, dirty looks, but we still do what the other one asks. You know? yeah. So, um, and I just feel like adding Gmail to it is just going to, you know, it might end up in a divorce. You know, don't want that. <laughs> but the, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, we're going to do a show on email. It's been a long time since we covered it on NPO. I've changed a bunch of my workflows. I want to hear Stevens, and and we'll hear from the listeners as well when we do that. But, but yeah, so I, the general thing, you know, the question of this show, is iCloud sufficient for Apple Mail? And, and uh, I think it is. It's fine. Calend- then, then it starts getting into all the weird stuff, calendars and contacts and Apple Notes and things like that. Now, we did a calendar show, and I heard from multiple listeners saying that they've had problems with iCloud calendar sync. I have never had a problem with it. Have you ever had any issues with iCloud calendars or contacts? Not in any sort of widespread issue and never with contacts. I do have a problem occasionally where in the Mac calendar app, and it may just be the Mac app, it's probably not even iCloud. Say I create an event on my personal calendar, but then I need to move it to my wife's calendar. You know, I, I just started on the wrong calendar. About 50% of the time, I look like an hour later and it's it's moved back to the original, <laughs> the original calendar it started on. So I don't know if that's iCloud or not. That's not a big deal because, at least in my family, we have a calendar for myself and my wife one for the kids. Then we have one called family events. It's like, we're all doing this. And and my wife and I can see yeah. everything on all of them. So like the, the most annoying thing that could happen is it's the wrong color. And that bothers somebody like me. She doesn't care, but that's the only thing I see. And like I said, it happens pretty often, but I don't know if it's the Mac client or iCloud to blame, but I've never had it lose data. I've never opened a contact and all of a sudden the phone number's wrong or, or missing or all my pictures are gone from my contacts. That all stuff, all that stuff has been solid for me for, for ages. Yeah. And, and what you described to me with the calendar, it almost sounds like a conflict, like the server conflict. It looked and saw that 
it still had the version with you being your calendar saying, oh, there's a problem here, but the server says it's Steven, so we'll make it Steven. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's somewhere where the two meet, I think. Yeah. No, I I have generally had really good luck with it. Now, I have heard from listeners that have problems with contacts, and quite often, if we get into an email exchange, I find out that they've got Google contacts, uh, Microsoft 365 contacts, and and Apple contacts, you know, iCloud contacts. And when you start putting several different accounts into a single contacts app, even though it fully supports that, I think that does lead to, to mayhem sometimes. It can, or, or you can have something in an account that you didn't realize it was in and, you know, it can get confusing quick. I'll tell you one of the nicest things when I quit my job was getting off of the Microsoft bandwagon and just having all of my legal stuff. I just put it all into iCloud Mm-hmm. And I just have really clever use of, you know, groups and contacts and it works so nice. And, and it has been much easier having them all in one cloud syncing platform since I've done that. I had that at my last job. We used a uh, G suite for our work. And so I had all my work clients in that contacts, you know, and I had it syncing to my devices, but ultimately I would accidentally put a private you know, contact in the work one or, or vice versa. And it is nice just to have one big, like one big contact soup and just everyone's in there together. That's a very yeah. troubling metaphor. That's very, that's yeah. very troubling. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, contact soup. Contact right. soup. Well, whatever. Let's just go with that. I'm full of good words today. Mac up, yeah. contact soup. There's another one coming. Um, I feel it. Man, do not make fun of Mac up. I, I think I need to do a Mac up every day. I love that. You should. You got to you gotta get that Mac up going. Okay, so the, the one that you would think would fit in would be Apple Notes. But Apple Notes to me is more sorted. I, I remember talking to a guy at WWDC a few years ago. And, you know, when you go to WWDC, there's a lot of people there that work for, you know, different companies. Some of them make fruit. And someone telling me that the sync mechanism for Apple Notes was different from that of Contacts and calendars and that they had um, kind of inherited something and it was a little bananas, but it was getting fixed. And it all, it, it just left me feeling uncomfortable, you know? Mm. And at the time I had like a thousand notes in Apple notes and I haven't generally had any problems with it, but I am um, like one of the things I have is like, I call it text bank. I have, you know, as lawyers, when every time we see a contract clause that we like, we, we copy it and you never know, you may need something like that, you know, up your sleeve one day. So I've got these, you know, many, many bits of text I have indexed and organized that I use. And I moved all of that out of Apple Notes into uh, Ulysses a uh, year or two ago. And so I just kind of like, I didn't divest from Apple Notes, but I try to treat Apple Notes as kind of my version of Evernote. It's stuff that takes rich text and, you know, notes that need pictures attached to them and whatnot. But uh, in prepping for today's show, I said, well, you know, I was thinking about this Apple note and I was writing it in the outline. I said, well, let me just go back and look how everything is in Apple notes. And I went and looked in, cause I copied all the, um, you know, the contract text out of Apple notes, but I didn't delete it. I just left it there. Cause you never know, right? Nothing wrong with belt and suspenders. And the stuff was there, but the folder structure was all gone. Like they were all organized into subfolders, but the folder structure was gone on my iOS devices, but not on my Mac. Yikes. Right? <laughs> I'm like, did I lose data? You know, I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be something to talk about on Mac Power Users. And then I started searching. Data's all there. All the notes are still there, but they have been removed. And the folder, the folder that they were in is there, 
but they've been moved to the general tab. You know, they they are basically unclassified notes. Yikes! But on but on the Mac, <laughs> they are still classified. And so th- I discovered this last Wednesday when I started writing this outline. So I've been playing with it. I have I have unsynced on. So the first thing I did was I I turned off the Apple Notes sync. You can go to preferences on your iOS device to iCloud. Just scroll down to Notes, turn it off, and turn it back on. And then it it took several hours to kind of you know re-download and update itself, but it it still didn't put the notes in the folders that they belonged. And then I tried with the iPad. Um, yeah, you know, I just did the nuke and pave on the iPad, guys. This is what I do for the listeners. Let's let me tell you, I wouldn't have done, gone through all this, but I wanted to come back to the show and say it's all fixed now. So I went through the process. I nuke and pave the iPad. Still, after all that still doesn't have them in the folders. And now I'm starting to think that the the error in terms of iCloud's thoughts are my Macs, that the Macs are the ones. If I turned off and turned it on on the Macs, then they would uh, restore it to the state where I'd lose all this organization. I don't, But I'm afraid to do it. So, you know, Apple Notes isn't perfect still. And that really moves us into a place of talking about my sort of critic, my like big complaint about iCloud stuff is that troubleshooting is just hard. Your only yeah. option is basically to turn things off and turn them back on. Yeah, agreed. You know, I don't know what Apple can do about that, but they've—I think they've got to do something because it, it's just difficult to get your hands around what's happening when things go wrong. Yeah, well, this is pretty frustrating because one device has it right and one device does not. So it's like it knows at some point that this is what I wanted. In the meantime, I have. What does the iCloud website have? Have you looked there? You know what? I haven't. Let me. Um, I will do that during the first ad break. I will do that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's run through the rest of these. Uh, we're kind of down into the the minor features now. Uh, we have messages in the cloud, which is new as of last year, and it it basically just will sync your iMessage conversations and data to iCloud, so they're they're much faster to restore. They stay in sync better. I think most people probably won't notice a huge difference between this on and off, but I've had it on since it launched and the iMessage stuff seems perfectly fine to me. They also put the same place. You know, if I turn my Mac on after a weekend, it catches up quickly. So I think that's one that you could, uh, you could flip on without, without much stress. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is something that I use all the time. It, this one took a little while to, to arrive, but once they delivered it, it seems like it's a stable feature. Mm-hmm. We also have the Safari data, you know, bookmarks, open tabs, passwords. I have never had any problem with any of that stuff. Me neither. And this has been around a really long time. I absolutely love the ability to sync open tabs. So right now, if I hit the iCloud tabs button on the Mac, I see the the browser windows are open on my iPad, the ones that are open on my phone. I got one opened on my laptop, apparently. I can close them remotely or I can visit them right from there. That is absolutely fantastic and a huge reason uh to use safari honestly across all of your things for a while for a long time i used chrome on the mac and i gave safari a try i don't know maybe half a year or a year ago and the icloud stuff is one reason that i've stuck with it all those little features are really nice to have yeah i, I i'm with you i mean i i'm on record on that one i mean battery life and just once again the common idea of having everything be simple. And when you've got Apple's browser and you've got all these devices, 
they have engineered everything to work easily with Apple's browser. I and I get that like if you're heavily using like Google Docs, you may want to have Chrome, but the past of least resistance for a lot of people is just using Safari. Uh, text replacement. Uh, this is another one where I have had mixed results with iCloud. And um, it was terrible for a long time. Up until about a year or two ago, it just did not synchronize. I could not, like I, I would try to get it to synchronize. And I had a different set of text replacements on literally every Apple device. Um, now it's working better, but it still doesn't 100% of the time work. What's your experience with text replacement? Yeah, I had a lot of trouble with it in the early days and I haven't ever really revisited it. Like they're a sponsor, but text expander has so many more features that I, that I need. Um, I'm fine switching to the text expander keyboard on iOS. Now the magic keyboard on the iPad, you know, you've got to like switch to a software keyboard. It's not ideal, but I still prefer the features of a, a more powerful application here. And I think I may have a couple things in Apple's text replacement and they're, they're probably sync every everywhere, but honestly I haven't touched it in years. Yeah, there there was a note, I forget who, I should have looked up before we recorded, but one of the listeners did a post on the forum how if you take a snippet with a carriage return in it and you paste it in on the Mac in text replacement for the Apple iCloud service, it'll work on iOS. And then Dr. Drang wrote a post about it. So it, so they're, you know, they're getting a little better with that, but I feel like man, that it, it is just so pedestrian compared to what I get with, you know, our sponsor text expander. So mm-hmm. I don't use it much either. Mm-mm. Universal clipboard came out as a big deal. The idea is you save something in your clipboard on your iOS device and it shows up on your Mac or vice versa. Do you find yourself using that much, Steven? I use it from time to time between my iPhone and computer, but not very often. And, and one thing that kind of, drives me a little batty about it is if I have my MacBook Pro open on my desk and it's just doing something, I'm not actually actively using it. Other corner of my ILC finder pop up be like copying from iCloud. It's like, no, I don't like just do it. I don't have to see it. It's fine. It's, it is helpful in the situations where you just need to quickly get something from one place to another. In the past, I would have used Apple notes or, you know, in the olden days, like you sent yourself a text message. Remember that it's like, I need this photo somewhere else. I'll just send myself an iMessage. Uh, but it seems to work pretty well for me and, uh, the, you know, the few times a month I need it. I, you remember that app Copied? I do. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, they, you know, they, it seems like they're not in active development anymore. And I just had a friend write me and ask, you know, what's a good substitute for it? And there really isn't one that's made to be exactly what that is. Or if there is, let me know. I, I'm not aware of it. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like Apple should be incorporating this as an iCloud service. That just when you save to the clipboard, it it has a running clipboard history, and maybe you make an app or do it under the settings tab, you know, or just have somewhere where the user can access clipboard history and make it work across all platforms. And, and I know there are third party apps that do this, but there's really not not a good way to do this across iOS to Mac platforms. And Apple would be in the best place to do it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, a similar one is handoff where you can work on an email on your iPad and just jump on the Mac and pick up where you left off. Do you use that one much? Never. The, I do the, occasionally. N- never. <laughs> I have it on, on my phone and my desktop. I have it off my laptop and iPad. Um, but it's, 
a couple times a year. Most of the time, I accidentally, like I'll have Overcast open on my phone and I'll accidentally tab to it because it pulls up a Safari handoff window and then I'll accidentally open Overcast in my browser. Like most of the time, it's not actually not what I wanted to do. Does more trouble than good? For me, at least, you know, but I, I very rarely will start a task on one device and then move, then need to move it to another. That's just not the way that I work generally. Other times, like I work on a piece of writing multiple places and that's in Google Docs or, or Tot or something, but very rarely am I like, oh, let me pick up this presentation on my iPad and then move it to my laptop. Like I'll just save it and reopen it. Just the way handoff works doesn't seem to to work with my brain very well. Yeah, I see. I sometimes some of the email I write in the lawyer job are very complicated, and I do need to think about them. And sometimes I will start it on the iPad and finish it on the iMac, or vice versa. So hmm. I do find myself using it on occasion. I, I mean, it's sol- it's a solid feature. It works. Um, you usually see a little bouncy app in your dock when you jump from one platform to the next, and it says, "Hey, you want to pick up where you left off?" And yeah. it's just fine. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a good service. I I mean, the only couple that I've, I've mentioned here that really give me a little heartburn are, are Apple Notes, really. Overall, I think Apple's doing pretty good with this stuff. And, and the little features seems like they, they do fine with those. I think where they get into trouble is where they get hit with lots of data and users outside the normal profile. And I think my Apple Notes is outside the normal profile, north of 1,000 Notes. But you know what? It should work with north of 1,000 Notes. It should work with 10,000 Notes. You know, I mean, that's what the app does. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're going to let me make 10,000 notes, you should be able to sync 10,000 notes. That's a good point. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password, our favorite service for managing your passwords. With 1Password, you just have to remember the 1Password. It gets you into the application. It unlocks all of your websites and services for you. There's so many features with 1Password to talk about. Uh, you can store specific data on your vault. It works with all the security features on your iPhone and your iPad. It even auto-fills in your password information on websites and applications for you using Apple services. And the thing I love about 1Password is the idea that they just never stop working on the application. Just recently, they released version 7.5 for iOS. And even though the world may feel like it's on pause, that's not the 1Password team. They just keep going Uh, Some of the features that they've got now are tags and favorites that make it a breeze to keep everything organized in 1Password. You can use multiple tags on a single item, and there's no limit to the number of tags you can create. And this uh, release rolls out a new tag editor that allows you to effortlessly apply new and existing tags to your items. This is especially great if you have a family plan because with the family plan, everybody's got different things that are important to them. Like we have a tag for school and then I can get all those together or get one for all the various people I pay to put content on my TV, which seems like it's a lot of them, Stephen. Uh, So tags can now be added to an item without needing to edit first. And while viewing an item, tap the add tag button to unveil the all new tag editor. Uh, They've got easier sharing. They've got better sorting. They've just got a really solid release here with version 7.5. I recommend you download it. I was lucky enough to get into the beta for 1Password, and I've been running 7.5 for a while. It's solid, and and go get it. Uh, But there's a lot more you can do with 1Password. Just create strong and unique passwords. Protect yourself, your family, your coworkers. And if you go over to onepassword.com slash MPU and make that in all caps, you get 20% off. Who doesn't want 20% off, man? Get to save some money, protect your passwords. And while you're home with your family, you can teach your 
your significant other and your kids how to have some password security at the same time. So once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. Get your 20% off and start protecting your online security today. Thanks, 1Password. All right, so let's move on into the other subscription services. So we got, you know, this is mostly media stuff. Uh, again, check out the family sharing episode because all of these services are underneath that umbrella. And these can all be mixed and matched. As of this recording, at least, Apple does not have a sort of umbrella services subscription where you can pay X a month and get iCloud and these other things. They're all all the cart. So we're going to talk about them individually. I'm hopeful that changes. I think it would make sense for Apple to have like, you know, like kind of like Amazon Prime has where you just get a bunch of stuff. I think it'd be cool to see Apple do that. They haven't done it yet, but I, I hope that's coming because this gets complicated to talk about and like trying to figure out what you've paid for and what's in your account or not can be a little messy. I wish Apple could tidy that up for us. I totally agree. Let's go through them though and just kind of see how we see uh, them fitting in the state of the platform, uh, starting with the original Apple Music. Yeah. This started outside of Apple. Remember, this was Beats Music, and they, they yeah. bought it and brought it in to compete with Spotify and, well, now they're dead, but RDO and you know other things that have come and gone. I was late to Apple Music. I was one of those people, probably unsurprisingly, that carefully crafted my iTunes library over a decade, right? Ripping CDs and then purchasing music. Yeah. And I was just nervous about combining that with a streaming service. And I was admittedly hesitant about the idea of renting quote renting my music right i like the fact that i I bought this even though it's just a a digital file and now i own it but several years ago i i took it for a spin and i found that actually i really like apple music i like that i can explore albums and artists i haven't heard and i'm not a huge a huge proponent of that i don't very often like go out and listen to the playlists that they create i know a lot of people who do and who really like them I tend to kind of know what I like and expand out slowly, but it means that when an artist has a new album, I can just tap add to my library and it's there. And if I want it locally, I can download it. I have all that history because you can upload your local music from the before times that used to be separate through iTunes match. And now they've sort of merged all of it together. But yeah, this is one that I use and pay for. We have a family plan. So my wife uses it as well. And both of us really enjoy it. Yeah, agreed. I I love music and I listen to a lot of obscure 1950s jazz. So um, I was very much on board with it. I, like you, I was hesitant to streaming services initially because I guess I'm an old guy and that's what we thought. You just buy your music, you wouldn't rent it, right? Um, I grew up, you know, buying albums. My wife and I were talking about when we were in high school and how we both would spend our money on on very different, but records, you know, and, um, uh, that, that was a thing in our lives. Whereas my kids, we have a family plan for Apple music and they get whatever they want on demand. They don't have to go, you know, work in some minimum wage job to get their music and it's just there for them. So that's pretty awesome. Um, I was a beat subscriber because beats, um, big selling point was they had human created playlists, which I thought were actually really good. So I was already on board before Apple bought them. Um, and I, I continue to be a big fan. I think the family plan is a great deal if you have kids. And um, you, know, you get in, what is it, I think $15 a month? And you mm-hmm. get up to, is it five people? I don't, we have four in our family. Yeah, I believe it's five. Yeah, and so that's like 
all the music you can eat for $15 a month for five people. I mean, that's pretty great. And then once again, it gets that platform advantage that, you know, if you have a home pod, it just plays your music. If you know, all, you know, this, the integration with Siri is the best with Apple music. So, so kind of everything just kind of works together. Yeah. It's, it's even available on the web, you know, and, and I don't know whose library is bigger. Apple and Spotify just hit each other back and forth, right? Month to month or year to year about what's going on. But I've never really had an issue where there's something I wanted that Apple Music didn't have. And the because it's built into music and I was going to say music and iTunes, but music and music on uh, iOS and macOS it is, is native, right? It feels like it's just music in your library. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to Spotify to listen to music. I'm just doing it the same way I have since iTunes came out, you know, 200 years ago. So I, I really like that. I think Apple is doing a good job with it. I think they had a lot of ground to catch up. Spotify was really good at playlists and those sorts of things. But I think Apple has done a really good job with this. And I think they know it's really, really important. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Spotify may be better, uh, you know, but Apple Music Plus is, is it, they call I was get uh, Apple Music is good enough for me at least. And honestly, it's it's really good. I mean, I I was just listening to uh, some obscure music the other day. You know, I'm a big fan of Dexter Gordon. I I went deep on Dexter, and they had so many albums in there that I'd never even heard of. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's great. Okay, so let's go from music to TV. That's the new thing Apple's done is Apple TV Plus. What do you think of that? Yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on this? Uh, you know, I feel like it's I, I'm not as hard on it as some people are. I mean, uh, it's certainly not Netflix or HBO, but n- neither was Netflix or HBO in their first year. You know, um, I, I think they're they've got some solid entries. Um, I haven't paid for it yet, so it's been pretty easy to watch it. Um, you know, my wife and I are watching Dickinson. I really enjoyed the, uh, what's the one, the space one. What was it called? Um, for all mankind, for all mankind. I, I watched really the whole enjoyed thing. I enjoyed that a lot. The big one that everybody was talking about. See, I watched like one episode of it and I'm like, nah, you know, yeah. I, but I, I'm just not, <laughs> you know, what's funny. I, I'm not a fan of, um, these, you know, post apocalyptic, you know, dystopian future sure. stuff. I just, it's just it's just such a downer, you know. I don't need it. Uh, so anyway, uh, but but I mean, they've had some good shows. Uh, the Amazing Stories I've been watching, and I'm a big I was a big fan of the original run of it, so I've enjoyed those. So you know, they've got some good content, but you know, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> it's just you know, they don't have a catalog, and, and the other thing is, it came out at the same time as Disney Plus, and Disney Plus is amazing. I mean, it's just like such a good price. And so much great content. And I know I'm a Star Wars nerd and they've really pushed all my buttons there, but it's not just that. It's all that other stuff they, they put on there. I mean, I feel like Disney Plus is the gold standard in a lot of ways. And it, Apple does not stand up to that. Yeah, it's interesting. Apple, out of all the streaming services out there, they're the only one that that you said you like don't have the back catalog, right? Netflix and Hulu, they have in some cases, decades of content they've purchased the rights to. Apple's not playing that game. It's all original content. And that does mean the library's smaller. I think Apple's smartest move here, though, was making it free for a year when you purchase an Apple device. So I, I would, I mean, how many people are paying for Apple TV this, to Apple TV at this point? Like nobody, right? Everyone on there has it for free. The question is how many people will renew. For me, I'll, I'll pay for another year to watch For All Mankind 
and The Morning Show. Those are the two that my wife or that my wife and I really enjoyed. We're watching Home right now, which is also really good. But I haven't really explored any of the others. None of the other ones have really jumped out at me. But I think I would. I think I'd pay for another year to see where those two shows go at least. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, the good news is Apple has enough money that they can give them some room to to make something. Mm-hmm. But the lack of an extra catalog does, I think, affect it. I mean. It was funny when this pandemic hit, there was a bunch of people writing business articles saying this is Apple's chance to go in and buy Disney, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and I was just thinking to myself, please don't let them do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but the um but you know, it is uh, if they're serious about this, they are gonna have to find some more content, I think. Or 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 pay for a lot of new content. Yep. I also think their pricing is messed up. I mean, Apple is more than Disney Plus and it is so much less, you know, I, I don't know if they want people to stick around. I don't know if they're going to stay at nine ninety nine a month. It's too high. And again, no one's really paying for it. So, so there's that, but it, it is, uh, it's too much. I do think that Apple should, if they're going to come up with a single price, all you can eat for everything, they should definitely do that before everybody comes up for their renewal on Apple plus TV plus. Mm. Yeah. I've been curious about how that timing will go. Yeah. Because I think there's going to be a mass exodus if they don't. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, you know, figure out a way to say, okay, we're going to give you all these services for X dollars. And then then it just feels like something you're getting in extra as opposed to, no, I'm going to pay $10 a month for three shows. So I'm going to pay $120 a year for three shows. You know, that's not going to feel very good. Mm-mm. Uh, Apple News and News Plus. Uh, this is something that's kind of gone up and down as we've been going through uh, our run of Mac Power users. Um, News Plus was the first thing they released with this latest kind of round of subscription services. It's $10 a month, and it gives you access to hundreds of magazines and major newspapers. What are your thoughts, Stephen? I didn't use Apple News before this, and I tried the Apple News Plus membership and you know the trial. It wasn't for me either. Apple News is useful. Like My wife loves it because it's curated to the stuff she wants to read from a bunch of different sources. There's human editor editors working behind the scenes doing things. But it's not just the way – it's just not the way I want to consume news. Like if I want to read a website, I'm going to put it in my RSS reader and then I may check the New York Times or, or something, you know, various media outlets when I want to. Having it all in the Apple News app just – it just doesn't work for me. And, and News Plus, I couldn't really find the content that I wanted – and a lot of the, the News Plus stuff, at least at the beginning, was formatted basically as PDFs. So, like, the layout wasn't very good on a bunch of stuff. And News Plus really, to me, feels half-baked. And I, I don't know many people who are are paying for it and, and using the, the plus aspect of it these days. So, I, I tried the free 30 days and then unsubscribed. But I have gone back this last month. I have paid for a month. I'm going to write about it, Max Barkey. It started as an experiment. But I'll tell you, the content is better now. Uh, it's more accessible. There's a couple magazines that I really wanted to read. And now with all in the, the state of the world here, as we record this on May 4, 2020, uh, there's a lot of news sources I would like to kind of keep up with more than I normally mm-hmm. would. And I'm, I'm actually finding it better than I thought mm-hmm. I would. I mean, I'm, I have more positive feelings for it. Again, it's $10 a month feels kind of like a lot. But it is a lot of content that has unlocked for me. And but another thing is like 
like Mary, I use Apple News every day, even before I unlock News Plus, because I uh, I find that as my primary news source. I like the way that it it works for me. It figures out the stuff I like and and it's customizable. So I've been using that basically as my curated news. Yeah, uh, you know that that makes total sense to me, and I think that the the way Apple has really put like human curators in the mix, like I think they're doing a good job with it. This is a very hard problem to solve. Like Facebook really struggled with its news platform. Google does, I think, a, a pretty okay job. I think Apple is doing a good job. It's, this is not a fit for me. I do wonder though that if if Apple were to do a bundle of services, I think that could only ha- help Apple News Plus. Right? I, think, I think more people would be willing yes. to check it out because yes. that ten bucks a month, I think, is unless you're just reading a bunch of magazines. That seems like a lot for what you get for the the news plus aspect of it. Well, one thing I really appreciate um, some of the I have some friends that worked on the um, the iBooks people that are working on Apple News Plus, and I understand that they that they've gone to great lengths to make this curation something that works for you. And it doesn't matter whether you're you know um, um, conservative or or liberal. They, they've tried to do it in a way that you get good news, but true news i mean i think they really are taking that that role seriously more than some of the other companies in silicon valley and don't don't write me your hate email Mm -hmm. you know we don't try and talk about politics here but the um but i i think they're trying to do a job where no matter what your interest is they're going to get you stuff you like i mean i guess to give another example i get all the news about what's going on in the world right now but i also get star wars news in my news Mm -hmm. feed you know and it's great and uh, so it's just uh I find it really good and I don't watch a lot of network TV. So this is really a great source for me. So I'm willing to pay for it for a little while. I get it that it seems like it's a lot of money, but some of the the magazines I've been reading, I I've been getting my $10 a month out of that. Good. No, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I think the rhetoric, at least amongst tech nerds has been pretty negative. So that is really fascinating to hear that your experience with it has been, been pretty good. In fact, I just opened it while we're talking, and I see something amazing that happened. Uh, I guess I might as well. Taika Waititi is going to make a Star Wars movie. Oh, oh man, oh man. Well, it's uh, May the fourth, so you know. It's, <laughs> you said it, right? These days, you said it. I, I didn't realize it that was today because I've muted on in Tweetbot all of those jokes over the years. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. even realize it until I think you said that we were recording on May fourth. Like, oh yeah, look at that! It is Star Wars Day. Yeah. Are you, are, are you, do you dress up to celebrate? Like, do you have a ritual? My wife was making fun of me because I don't have any Star Wars attire on. What? But it's always in my heart, man. Okay. It's always in my heart. I'm going to watch later. This is, you know, this is what the world we live in. So Disney Plus has a great um, finalized season for the Clone Wars. The last episode airs today. I'm going to be watching it while FaceTiming some friends, you know, because that's what you do these days. That's a... Uh... That's pretty nerdy. <laughs> yeah, it is. The, the, the trick is you got to get it, uh, you got to pause it at the Disney Plus screen so you all start it at the right time. Right. Otherwise, somebody's like, whoa, don't get, you know, then you're like, what's about to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the <laughs> trick. Apple Arcade, uh, it, it is uh, the golden child, right, of the Apple services. Everybody loves it. Is that true? <laughs> it's another one that I tried during the trial. And I, and I, yeah. I'm not a big game player, so maybe that's what it comes down to, but not for me. Yeah. I, I honestly think if the Apple Arcade service was a dollar a month, I'm not sure you would sign up for it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 
if it was bundled, maybe I would get it. Um, no, I okay. So I think you're wrong. I think this is a real. This is a big win because okay. so many of the games in the Apple App Store turned into slot machines for children, where you you know you start playing it, and then you got to get more gold stars, and you got to you know do these microtransactions. And that was the people making the money. And then the more people made money, the more people copied the model. And then all of a sudden, all of the games in the iPhone were trash. And as a parent, if your kid bought, you know, downloaded a quote unquote free game, you could end up spending, you know, lots of money inside that game. And the idea behind Apple Arcade is $5 a month. The the games are complete. There's no add-on purchases and they're made by really good game studios, and that is exactly what they've delivered. It when it un, when it first came out, they had a lot of really great titles, but they continue to come out with really great titles every month. And I think particularly, like you should be. Do your kids play games, Stephen? I know you don't, but do your kids play games? Not, not really. I mean, they're really like board game players and stuff. Okay, they've been playing well, a lot of uh, Pokemon on the Switch and Mario Kart and stuff. But if they were into gaming, we would do this, right? For all the reasons you said, there's no ads, there's no in-app purchase, they're all high quality, but they're not, and so it really hasn't come up. Yeah, and the, and the, and we haven't mentioned with all of this, like the $10 I'm paying for News Plus, all my kids get access to all of it too. Same thing with the arcade. Everybody in your family share gets all those games. For $5 a month, your entire family has free games. Um, if you have people in your life, or you individually, like games... I would recommend doing the trial on this because I not only is it less expensive than almost every other game model in the app store, these are really good games. I mean, they're fun. And I, I, um, I, so I have subscribed and I do play them. So sorry, man. No, it's cool. Can't help myself. It's fine. Yeah. But the, uh, I, but I think they're great. And I, I do, you know, pick one or two at a time, but then every month I find another one or two that I want to play. So that's what I was going to ask about the longevity of it. I don't know if there's been like a single big hit in Apple Arcade. Maybe there is, and I'm not tuned into it, but do you feel like there's something new when you're ready for something new? Yeah, there is. Okay. And they're the, the type of games that I like eclectic games. You know, I like games that are not super stressful you know i'm not into shooters you know which wouldn't make sense on an ios device anyway but i i like games are just kind of a fun little adventure and there are so many like that in here but anyway it's each his own i I think they priced it right and i think they're delivering the goods and if you've got uh, gamers in your life i would absolutely try this to see what they think about it yeah like if you've got kids that like just want to play um a call of duty they they probably aren't going to be into this, but if you run, you know, you know I mean, there's, there's certain types of gamers, totally. you know, and, and, um, and that's fine, you know, but, but if you just kind of like pick up and play casual fun games, I think for smaller kids and people who, uh, like I, I'm not into the real serious games. I don't want to do homework to play a video game. Right. This is, this is for me. Okay. No, that's great. And I think there are a lot of people who fit in that category. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by The Uptake, a new show on all things tech and community from our friends over at Microsoft. I'm obviously huge into podcasting. I love finding new podcasts, and The Uptake has been one that I've really enjoyed because they they put people together in various corners of technology and tell their stories about building community. That's my favorite thing about Mac Power Users, my favorite thing about Relay 
is the community that we have. And the uptake is all about that. It also has how-tos and professional learning development. If you want to build your own community, there's a lot of stuff to get out of it as well. Each episode features members of the tech community, and the conversations are fun. Each show has a focused topic, guest interviews, local and global community news, plus updates on events, conferences, that sort of thing. And just so you have an idea of what to expect, uh, I listened to an episode about uh, this teacher. He wanted to build education apps for his students. And so he, he became a developer on the Microsoft platforms, met people on forums. They helped him work on his code. He got to pitch some ideas to Microsoft. It was really neat to hear his point of view and his story as he shifted careers in a really, really big way. They've talked about personal and career growth, along with imposter syndrome, which is a huge deal in the tech scene, uh, and a topic they called Less Code, More Power, which is also a lot of fun. So go and check it out. Just search for The Uptake wherever you get your shows. That's Uptake, U-P-T-A-K-E, or click the link in the show notes to check it out. Our thanks to The Uptake and Microsoft for their support of this show and Relay FM. So one of my worries with the growth of Apple services is the point that, you know, this is suddenly a profit center for them. And where traditionally the Apple cloud services were a way to make their products better and give you a reason to want to buy their hardware. Now Apple's looking at this as a way to raise money. Yeah. So I went uh, looking for this. I don't follow Apple's quarterly results very closely, but our friend Jason Snell does. And as we're recording this, Apple just had their Q2 results come out. If you look at their revenue by category, services is 23% of their revenue this last quarter. And to put that in context, the iPhone is an even 50%. The Mac is 9%. The iPad is 7 And then basically other things. So Apple Watch, HomePod, et cetera, that's 11%. So A, those things are bigger than the Mac and the iPad, but the services is second only to the iPhone. That's an incredible part of their business. It's three times the revenue of the iPad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, we spend so much time thinking and like pouring over the details of the iPad. And again, services is this behemoth just really weighing over everything. And like you said, that that raises some, some questions about this business model shift. So do you have any any thoughts on, you know, is how Apple is handling this? Do you think they're making good or bad decisions around it? Well, you know, typical Apple, we don't know enough. You know, they're not going to share all the details. There are some things they have done that feel consumer hostile toward me, to me. Uh, in particular is the photo, I mean, the the poster child of this is photo storage, right? Um, I've whined about this on the show for years, but you buy an Apple device, it takes amazing pictures. It's got a 12 megapixel sensor, so it takes big pictures. But you only get this piddly amount of storage, online storage. So, and so, so for most people, they're going to be like, well, I'm not going to spend money. You know, I'm not going to give them money every month for storage. So they take pictures of their kids. They get these great pictures, and then their phone falls into a lake, and the pictures are gone. Whereas if Apple had just given everybody the storage they needed, you would know you go buy another iPhone and you get your pictures back. I mean, I just think it's so silly to be charging money for that, given the price of the devices. But, you know, 23% of the income is these services. Now, the question is, are they charging me money to store my photos so they can 
go to the stockholders and say, look how much we made off services. We got Dave to give us even more money. Or are they doing that because they don't have the capacity and they're using money as a gate to keep people from overloading their servers? I don't know. That is a situation where you look at the money they're making off services and you say, geez, wouldn't it be great if they only made 20% of their services, but everybody who bought an iPhone had all their pictures backed up? Mm-hmm. I'd be totally fine with that trade-off. Uh, honestly, I think it would be good. <laughs> yeah, but but like I said, I, I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, it, I mean, pictures are huge files, and maybe if you multiply the number of iPhones in the world times the number of pictures, they don't have enough server farms to store them all. <laughs> there may not be. It may be that no one does. Yeah, I mean, we we just don't know. Yeah. The, the thing that I think about here is the potential issues around advertising these services to customers. Like things like you open the music app for the first time, there's a full page banner for Apple Music. You open the TV app, it's a bunch of advertising for Apple TV+. I don't think they've crossed any lines with that, but I also don't know quite where the line is. For a long time, there was a lot of conversation around Applications cannot send notifications as advertisements, but Apple's not really been willing to enforce that as we have seen over the years. And in fact, they do it themselves for some of these things, right? You'll get a new notification about a new TV show in Apple TV plus and you can manage those notifications, of course, but I, I feel like it's a very slippery slope when you start going to your customers for service revenue, even if the service is really good, it's like, you got to respect the customers for who they are and what they've already paid you. And again, I don't know quite where the line is, but I think that's a really tricky balance. And I'm afraid that it's really easy for any company, including Apple to fall on the wrong side of that from time to time. Well, I mean, there's, there's different priorities. I'm sure the people that are making the photo, you know, just to keep beating a dead horse, I'm sure that people on the photos team and the people on the camera app team absolutely want you to store all your photos. And then the question is, well, what about the flip side of the people that are responsible for services are saying, no, we should charge money for this. And like I said, I mean, there's a big caveat here. We don't know. Maybe they just, the server team is saying, hey, guys, you're going to kill us if you do that. So so there could be a, a good reason. But I do think that, you know, another good example is that all of these add-on services, there is no, there is no um, plan where you get all of them at a discounted price. You know, right now, Apple is maximizing the profits on these as much as they can, which is something that company is very good at, which is one of the reasons we like it, because we know they're going to be around a long time. They've got a good business model, but there is a line, and sometimes it feels like it gets crossed. So how about a services report card? We've talked a lot about a lot of different things, and maybe we, we wind this up by talking about individual grades for services. Yeah. All right. Let's start. iCloud iCloud and everything it means. Yeah, I'm going to give it uh, a solid B. I think most of the services work as advertised. The big knock against it is the thing we keep coming back to is the amount of storage you get. It's just punitive unless you pay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm, I'm going to give it a B minus because I feel like it's still not quite as solid as it should be. There's mm. still weird stuff that occasionally happens. And I want to get to a point where there's never weird stuff happening with my cloud service. Maybe even a C. But I, I also feel like they've come so far, it's hard for me to say C because they really have come a long way. All right, B minus. Okay, B minus. Uh, where do you land on Apple Music? A, solid A for me. I think it's just great. It's priced right. 
it's it's a great service. I love the way it integrates. I love the curated lists. But you know, I was a Beats member before it became Apple Music, so I'm I'm so so on board with this, and mm-hmm. I get my money's worth every day. I'm gonna go with a, with a B plus, really for the reason of it can be difficult to manage what files are local. It's easier on the Mac, and so on the iPhone, I have a playlist called for iPhone. And if I get a new phone or I need to redownload something, I make sure that album artist is on that playlist. And then I just download that playlist. It's like, you kind of have to jump through some hoops to manage if you want files local. And back in the time where we could go places in airplanes, uh, that was a big deal for me. Cause I, uh, like last year I flew all over the country, a bunch of, I, mean, I think I got like at least one trip a month last year. And so it was a big deal. Uh, and I think they could do a better job around managing sort of online, offline access. And so that that dings it a little bit in my mind. But other than that, I'm I'm really happy with it. I think they've done a really, really good job in terms of expanding out of the Beats product, which is already very good and like putting an Apple-y touch on it. Okay, how about Apple TV Plus? I'm going to go here with the C Plus. We have our handful of shows that we have enjoyed but only really three of them. There's been a lot of stuff that just either doesn't look interesting or something like C where I watched, I didn't even get through the first episode. I think it would be a more general video service if they had a back catalog. Like I at least don't ever just like scrub through Apple TV plus to see what there is to watch on occasion. I will do that on Netflix or Hulu. But like what, what is something that I, maybe I, I caught previous seasons of, and I want to see there's a new season, right? Apple just doesn't have that yet. I think that will get better over time, but right now that's, that that's a ding against them. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a C as well. I, 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 just a solid C. I mean, they it's passing for the first year. They got some good shows. They don't have a lot of shows, you know, and it's there. But I, I feel like it has, it needs time, you know. And I think any any network would need time. That's that's starting. You know, this is new for Apple. I wish they had started it doing it years ago. But you know, let's just see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple News and News Plus. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I gotta, I gotta give it a D. It's not, <laughs> okay. it's not for me. And this is my personal view, right? It's not for me. Yeah. I think News Plus is way too expensive, and it's just not a, it's not not anything that I want. But uh, it's my grade. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a C. If it was five dollars a month, I'd give it a B. Yeah, you know, that's easy to say. I'm, once again, it's easy to spend somebody else's money, but. Of course, it seems a little expensive, and uh, but I think that it's a it's solid. Um, Apple Arcade, yeah. So I, I wrote C in the list, but I'm going to go with a B because I think you really reminded me how good it is for people who want casual games and people with kids who play games. So I will give it a B, even though I don't personally use it. Yeah, A for me. Okay. Hey. Um. Well, anyway. Uh, Apple services in the state of the platform overall, are you happy? What what about overall grade for Apple and all the cloud services and everything they're doing? Yeah, I think overall, you know, I think that probably averages out to like a a B minus. I think there's clearly progress to be made, especially in in some areas. But I think on the whole, for the things that most people use and rely on, I think it's pretty solid. And I think that's, uh, that's high praise from where they were a while back. Yeah, I think B minus is about right. I, I feel like I don't want to grade them on a curve because they have come so far. It's easy to say, well, they should get a B or an A because they're so much better. But they definitely have a lot of work to do still. And and uh, I think B minus works. 
hopefully next year we uh, we get a higher grade for them. Yeah, I'm all for it. Okay, well, that about does it for the state of the platform for Apple services. Stick around after the music for the after show. We're going to talk about that brand new MacBook Pro 13 inch and a little bit about my studio move and my cable woes. Um, uh, thank you to our sponsors, 1Password and the uptake from Microsoft. And we'll see you next week. Right, our first after show. Yeah, why not, man? We've why been talking not? about doing this for a long time, and so uh, we occasionally come up with things that aren't really going to fit into the content of the show, but we don't want to wait for two months to talk about it on the next uh, feedback show. Yeah, and this week we've got a couple of them. I think we should probably start with the exciting news about a new MacBook Pro. Yeah, let's start there. So this morning uh, on a Monday, which is unusual apple released a revised 13 inch macbook pro so this is not the 14 inch that i think a lot of us really wanted to see it looks the same as the previous 13 inch it is a touch heavier but looks the same got the the magic keyboard so no more butterfly keyboard on any of the new macbooks which is fantastic this was the last one to fall and like before it's split between two port machines which are 1299 and 1499 and more expensive but noticeably more powerful and probably better four port machines at 17 and 1999 those prices are, i think are in line with where they were you know the the more expensive two machines have new 10th gen intel processors which is awesome all of them have double the base storage so now that base one gets 256 gigs which is fantastic because for a while it was like 128 and that was just unacceptable. So it's a, I think it's a pretty solid update. I'll tell you, I did not see coming was the split with the two and the four port machines again. I just did not see that. I, I thought with the state of the MacBook Air at this point, they would only have kind of the high end MacBook Pro. Hmm. Are you surprised by that? I mean, I, I don't think they wanted that gap between the Air and then the four port macbook pro i don't maybe they can't get the four port down to a cheaper price than 1799 you know it's the ports but it's also the processor and the ram right the processor on the cheaper two is an eighth an eighth generation it's got slower memory the memory has a, a lower cap that the two high-end machines you can go up to 32 gigs so these really feel like kind of like different machines and i just don't know what you would put in the middle you know if there was yeah. a 15 inch macbook air Maybe that could go in the middle. So you have like 13 and 15 Air and then 13 and 15 and 13 and 16 Pro. But we don't have that. So this, the two core machine is still kind of in no man's land, I think, to hit the price points. Yeah, I get it. But uh, either and, way. Yeah. And, and I think if you're looking at an entry level MacBook Pro, you should seriously look at the, at the MacBook Air as well. Yes, the Pro has all quad core processor, but you can get that in the MacBook Air now. And maybe you don't need the touch bar, you know? So I think there's a lot of overlap in the type of consumer who would look at the base MacBook Pro and the Air. If you're looking at the $1799 MacBook Pro with a $2,000 13-inch MacBook Pro, the Air is sort of out of your scope because these are, are much more powerful machines, it looks like. And amen, the dark days of the butterfly keyboard are yes. now over. Yeah, they're they're only still for sale in the the fabric covered smart keyboard for the iPads, which are still around. But everything else is using the the new scissor switch, and I think it's uh, I think it's great. 
And and there's really not been any issue with those fabric covered keyboards because they're fabric covered. <laughs> yeah, crumbs can't get at them because they're inside a little cocoon of fabric. Yeah, no, that's it's great. I'm glad you know we we all expected this. I I was uh, hoping that we'd get a 14 inch so you'd get a little bigger screen, but you know the 13 inch is a very popular size for a computer, and good on Apple for getting the update out. And uh, thank goodness there's no more of these butterfly keyboards being sold. And I think a 14 is still possible in the future, but it's just, it, it's not now. So I, I don't know if we could write that off completely. Cause I think it would be, I think it would make more sense separating it from the MacBook air, but I, I don't know. Time will tell. Yeah. I, I don't think it's anytime soon. No, no. I think if you were waiting for a new small MacBook pro now is a pretty good time to jump, to jump on. Yeah. The more important news for Steven is that, you know, because of the COVID-19, everything, I lost my studio. So both of my kids are home, which is awesome. I love having my kids home. But the uh, I had to move my studio to a downstairs part of the house, which gave me an opportunity to undo all of the cabling under my desk and redo it yesterday. And I made the decision that I will no longer gaff tape my drive to my monitor stand arm it's now sitting on my desk i'm looking at it right now yay <laughs> that's sitting good on my desk it's got a cable coming down it's one more thing on my desk i don't like to have anything on my desk steven mm-hmm. but it's sitting on my desk i'm glad would you be willing to put some pictures in the newsletter this week I will. I okay. will. It's 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 getting there. My my cabling situation isn't as good as it would be if Stephen were here. I wish Stephen was here because yeah. you're so good at that. Yeah. But the, let, me, um, let me look at these pictures again. Look, I'm willing to forgive you. You've just moved in, right? Things are still settling, yeah. right? Yeah. You got a pile of boxes to the right. Yeah. Um, but I think you'll get there. I you know I made that rookie mistake. Like I always figure I'm going to get this right, you know, and I always make dumb mistakes. Like. Um, I turned my monitor to the side so I you know I would have enough room to, um, you know, get to the back of it when accessing mm-hmm. my cables. But what I forgot to do was to pull it forward, you know, because when you're on a boom arm, you can pull it pretty far forward. Right. And I, I secured down the power and some of the ma- major oh, cabling underneath. Yeah. And I went to record <laughs> this morning. I went to pull my monitor toward me. And it's like, no, I'm not going any further. Not- that's not going to work. <laughs> so it's like it's like 18 inches away from me. I think that's probably what people would tell you me it should be. Mm-hmm. But I'm used to having it closer. So I, I'm going to have to get underneath and, and do that. A, a couple things I changed with this time is I'm using more gaff tape than I did in the past on the underside of the desk. Mm-hmm. Usually I use um, a combination of like re, um, adjustable zip ties and, um, and some of those... Um, um, those plastic clips that you can clip on the command strips type stuff. Sure. Yeah. But I, I just gaff tape stuff to the downside of the desk. I'm not sure why I didn't do that sooner. And the same thing with the, the bongo ties. I used to put bongo ties around all the nice. legs of my desk, you know, to hold the cabling as it went down. Mm-hmm. I'm just using gaff tape now. I think it, mm. I think it looks nicer. Yeah. I use long Velcro strips for that when I need to do it. So, yeah. and, and if you haven't heard the good news about bongo ties, uh, they're my favorite cable management thing in the world. I'm going to have a link in the show notes because everyone should own some of these. Yeah. Although some of my older bongo ties, man, they're really, they they kind of fell apart in the old room. You know, the rubber is degrading on them. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's rubber. It's going to happen. Yeah. But the, uh, <laughs> but overall, I mean, it's looking really good. I, you know, I will put 
I will put in the newsletter and in the show notes this week a, a picture of the underside of my desk, and okay. you guys can make fun of it. But uh, it, it it still needs work. But um, but it, you know, I kind of enjoy that too, like mm-hmm. you getting underneath and figuring out what goes where. And but man, I'm really mad at myself about the the monitor extension issue. Yeah, you got to go back and, and tweak that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. That's the beauty of having your display on a stand. It doesn't ever move anywhere. It's great. You know, you know, this is kind of funny is that um, when, but you know, the, the downside of that is with the iMac pro to get to your ports, you got to like climb over your desk if, if you can't move it. Uh, but, but what's funny is every time I do this, I lose cables along the way. Like I, I wrapped everything in the upstairs studio before I moved downstairs. So I had them, everything here wrapped nicely for me. And when I finished, I had like eight cables left that I didn't, wasn't using anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did that when I got my Mac Pro. I read it under my desk, and I found like a USB-C cable that wasn't plugged into anything on either end. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing here? Like you're yeah, just exactly. It's hanging out years, with your friends. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I am a big fan of these underside drives, and uh-huh. I, I had some extras that I didn't use anymore. And so I was just like, I had stuff going on down there. I had a power cable. I'm not sure what that's for. But the uh, it's all good. And um but the cabling situation, I, I just feel like between you and Katie, I'm always the the you know the worst cabler on the Mac Power users. Well, it's uh, you'll get there. You can always improve. I really, honestly, I dislike like I like the OWC drive enclosure. It's got a cool blue light in it, you know. But the fact that it's got this single cable hanging down that I look at every time I sit on my computer, I really don't like mm. that. Yeah, the trick is to disable the LED. Just unplug it. Yeah, but even the LED doesn't bother me so much as the cable. Okay. And because of the, the high-speed drive enclosure, as we've talked about on the show way too much, you can't get a long cable. So I can't even like run the cable around with the other cables. Yeah, it's just it's just like hanging out on its own. Yeah, man. That's that's madness. Yeah, that is a bummer. I don't yeah. I don't miss having that issue with my iMac Pro. Yes, that's right. You, you've got it internal. They're you're all internal now, which is fantastic. Yeah. So the what you're telling me is I can either look at this cable or spend ten grand. Yep. I think I'll look at the cable. That's, that's the wise <laughs> choice here. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I hope you guys enjoy the after show. We'll be back next week with more Mac Power users. Sounds good.